Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to a special live uh, 2 p.m. edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. As many of you who listen to the show regularly know, um, we wanted to be on the air live because uh, returns are still coming in. The situation in Georgia and in voting across the country remains very fluid, and we want to make sure that you have the very latest uh, information. I want to give you a heads up that uh, the Biden campaign has uh, alerted the media that at some point in the next couple of hours, Joe Biden is expected to uh, have uh, remarks. And uh, if that happens while we're on the air, we're going to listen in to at least a little of what uh, Biden has to say. Um, So just be alerted for that. It's possible that that might happen. All right, let's get right to today's panel. Um, we're very glad. I'm very glad that Lori Geary, one of the most respected political journalists in the Southeast, is back with us again. Lori uh, was the political reporter for Channel 2 Action News and uh, now is the host of Georgia Gang. And uh, you had a late night last night at Fox 5 reporting on uh, returns uh, uh, for Fox 5. Lori, thanks for being with us today. Absolutely. I'm just glad it's radio. (laughs) Yeah, you and me both. I get it completely. Um, (laughs) We're also joined today by Republican strategist Heath Garrett. And Heath, just a minute ago, I think you stepped away for a moment, so you may not have heard NPR News, but you probably already know this. Susan Collins has been declared the winner in uh, the main Senate race. And uh, I think we can tell everybody... Susan Collins, a client of yours. That's right, Bill. Excited to be with you all today. What a chaotic and uh, interesting election and uh, excited about uh, Senator Collins. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about that because uh, Susan Collins is another example of a senator who is outperforming uh, the president, although the president was declared the winner in the second congressional district up there. So at least he does pick up one uh, electoral vote uh, from uh, from Maine. Uh, Professor Kurt Young, the, the uh, chair of the Department of Political Science at Clark Atlanta University, is back with us. How are you doing, Kurt? I'm doing well. I could do I could do with a bit more sleep, but uh, other than that, I'm doing fine. <laughs> I, 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 I agree with Lori's point about being on radio. That way, you won't that your listeners won't be able to see me nod in the middle of the segments. <laughs> well, we're grateful to you uh, for staying awake for us a little longer today. Um, and we're joined for the first time by a brand new panelist to Political Rewind, Raisa Habersham, who is an independent journalist, freelance journalist, um, has some experience working at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Raisa, when I read about you, I say I saw that you said that reporting has been your passion since you were four years old, you wrote for Vox when you were 17, I think. Have I got that right? We're having a hard time hearing you, Raisa. Have you got your phone muted? Raisa, can we hear you? 
Okay, we're going to have to try to work on Raisa's sound because we're we're not getting uh, you right now. Um, let me, while we do that, um, give you some returns from Georgia. These numbers are pretty fresh. They came in within the last 10 minutes. They were updated uh, just before we went on the air. Right now, President Trump is at uh, 50.3% of the vote in Georgia. Uh, Biden is at 46% with 93% reporting. There's a difference of just about 80,000 votes between the two. But I but um, I want to read something that the New York Times is saying in the way they characterize the race currently. They say this, this might surprise people. Mr. Trump has a two-point lead with more than 90 percent of the vote counted, but there's a lot of Democratic vote left in the Atlanta area. It may be just enough for Mr. Biden. This one's sure to be very close either way. Secretary of State has said he expects the winners of most races in the state to be announced uh, by Wednesday. Uh, Lori Geary, um, it's amazing that this race is as close as it is, although the Biden campaign certainly had hoped that by now they would have been the winner, clear winners in Georgia. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think this just proves what we've said all along and what the candidates have noticed is that Georgia is finally a battleground And I mean, wow, I don't think it can get much closer than this. So I think as we wait, I think I've I've seen some of these numbers just trickle in and I see Trump's lead get a little bit less, but talk about a trickle right now. But we know a lot of the votes are coming in from Fulton County. But then you just heard on the the report that there were 20,000 out in Houston. And we know that's a Republican stronghold. It's going to be fascinating to watch how that unfolds. Um, It's also uh, worth noting that in terms of absentee ballots, uh, Joe Biden outperformed President Trump uh, by a significant margin. He won 51.5% of the uh, absentee votes, and uh, Trump won 48%. So uh, the in-person voting meant a lot uh, to Republicans. That's probably not a surprise to you, Heath Garrett. No, it's not a surprise at all. If, if there's one thing we as Republicans in Georgia have to get better at is our uh, absentee ballot game. There's no question that Stacey Abrams a few years ago started a trend of being able to reach out and touch uh, their voters uh, in a more sophisticated way. We did a good job making it up on Election Day uh, statewide, but we saw some huge losses in absentee ballots in the suburbs like Cobb and Gwinnett. Uh, it wasn't a two-point difference uh, it was a 20 or 30 point difference in absentees. The Democrats did a much better job on absentees than we as Republicans did. And we're going to have to get better at that. Um, all right, let's move on to another race. Uh, let's look at the Purdue Ossoff race. Kurt, um, <laughs> David Purdue has been hovering just above 50%. They just pushed out some new numbers, and he is at 50.6% percent over the threshold for winning without a runoff he's been sitting there since late last night it he still does have an opportunity here uh kurt to win over john ossoff with no runoff yes yeah and, and the point that you made just a second ago in your question which is that he's been sitting there constant for some time i think is, is noteworthy um, we would normally expect to see some a bit more fluctuation for any race that's that tight. Um, and so that, that may suggest that it will continue in that way. But as I think Lori mentioned earlier, 
the conversations around what's going to come out of DeKalb County and Fulton County, potentially in favor of Biden, might have some impact on those numbers going forward. I suspect that it, it will. I think you will find them in a runoff, um, but we don't know for certain. If indeed, though, we find them in a runoff, it'll be interesting to see how that race plays out, especially given the way that uh, the two presidential candidates performed in the various parts of the state, right? The urban centers or, or as compared to the more rural centers and uh, sections. And then that kind of tells us what the strategies for the runoff might look like. If indeed we come um, to a Reyes, runoff. I think you can. I apologize, Kurt. I didn't mean to cut you off. Raisa, I think we can we can hear each other now, right? Um, yes, uh, tell us what you're. Okay, terrific. Um, in Senate race number two, uh, we know that Raphael Warnock is moving on to the runoff, uh, and we know that Kelly Leffler is moving on to the runoff as well after a very heated battle with Doug Collins. Raisa, were you at all surprised with how quickly last night Doug Collins sent a congratulatory note to Kelly Leffler, said he's with her 100%, and she replied, you're a great conservative, <laughs> which is hardly the way she had characterized him throughout the campaign, Raisa. You know, it was a bit surprising. I mean, I wasn't too surprised that we're not going to um, move on to a runoff. That clearly wasn't a surprise there. Um, when she categorized him as a conservative, you know, I was a bit taken aback, especially since, you know, like you said, she definitely didn't describe him that way. Um, it was definitely a gracious um, uh, decision to say, hey, I'll go ahead and coalesce behind you. So, uh, again, not too surprised. I think the only you know, surprise there was that she said, yeah, you know, you're a good conservative. I think that um, I was surprised that that endorsement happened so quickly. And I think it was, you know, in a communication standpoint, I think it was a missed opportunity um, because I think they could have come out today uh, this week, next week, and had kind of a, a press release, a virtual press release to say, you know, I'm, I know it's been a rough battle, but I'm putting my support, you know, be, Doug Collins said, I'm putting my support behind Kelly Leffler. So I think in that regard, it was a missed opportunity, but I was glad to see um, that Doug Collins really took the high road here after a re really brutal race. And it'll be interesting to see going forward how this runoff takes shape, because I mean, I think for the most part, Raphael Warnock has been able to kind of slide into this runoff position right. and really not get bruised up too much, right? And so now Kelly Leffler is going to come at him as, you know, we know the messaging. He's a socialist. He's a progressive. He's too liberal for the state. So the gloves will come off now between those two. Uh, no, Lori, I think that's, that's exactly right. I mean, seeing as a Republican, uh, we were becoming increasingly concerned that uh, Reverend Warnock was running free in this uh, special election, there were no negatives out on him. He was running very good uh, television commercials. They were great, uh, good messaging, all positive. Uh, I actually thought he would have performed a little higher than he did. The other Democrats on that ballot took away from him, and we as Republicans need to be grateful for that uh, coming in. It was a bruising uh primary-like battle between Doug Collins and Kelly Leffler, and I was glad to see Doug come out quickly and do that and begin the coalescing process. Unlike the last runoff we had in 2008, the state of Georgia is dramatically different. The amount of money that will be coming into this runoff are different. The Republicans have no room for error here, and 
Kelly's got a big task ahead of her. Um, and, of course, that runoff will take place on January 5th. It's a nine-week uh, period, as opposed to the three weeks that we used to have uh, as the time frame from a, a general election uh, uh, to a runoff because of uh, new federal uh, rules about uh, uh, balloting from overseas. Right, Heath? Isn't that what it comes down to? It does. Military judge, ballots? Military ballots have to have a little more time. A federal judge kind of set this tone. I mean— I know we all look forward to more bruising commercials during Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, and New Year's. (laughs) I mean. All right. Let me. Okay. I want you all to check me on something because I will not pretend that my math is as good as it ought to be. But but I was fascinated. Um, This notion that Raphael Warnock underperformed. I mean, most of the polls that we saw uh, uh, out of that race had him up at 39, in some cases up to 40 percent. In fact, he uh, finished with 32 percent of the vote. But, okay, so if you take Kelly Leffler, who won 1.23 million votes, and Doug Collins, who won 950,000 votes, and add them together— you come up to like 218, 2,183,000 votes. That means that, yes, it's true that Warnock lost some votes to a couple of other Democrats, but they were small percentages for the others. Warnock lagged behind those two by 683,000 votes. Uh, Lori, I don't know how significant that is, but it does. It seems to me if it would give Democrats some discomfort about what's going to happen in that runoff unless Warnock figures out a way to uh, really grow his totals. I think that's a really good point on the math, Bill, and I will not check you on that because that's why I'm a journalist, Um, not the mathematician. But the the other point I do want to make is, and you know the history, Bill, um, Democrats do not do well in turnout when it comes to these runoff elections. I mean, I think you have to look back to just Jim Martin and Saxby Chambliss. We knew that wasn't even going to be close. But even White's power um, and Paul Coverdale back to 1992 when I was in Augusta covering that race. So um, Democrats have a lot of work ahead of them and a lot of strategizing on how they plan to turn out that vote. We know that there will be a ton of money coming into Georgia, but we also know that Kelly Leffler can self-fund. No, that's exactly um, right. Well, we're going to watch that. Go ahead, Heath. Bill, I was only going to add to that. I mean, the major difference, I think, for us as Republicans is to not rest on those laurels of the past. Uh, when you start talking about $100, $200 million coming into the state of Georgia in nine weeks, that really changes the dynamic. That's very disrupting. Uh, obviously, Kelly's uniquely positioned to sell fund. But also, we as Republicans better not take for granted the machine that Stacey Abrams has built in this state and it has been demonstrated in the primary, the primary runoff, and now again, the Democratic Party can mobilize by mail and by other means in a way that it could not do a few years ago. Um, I want to point out, Raisa, that uh, the Associated Press, which is kind of the gold standard when it comes to calling elections, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I apologize, just uh, gave Wisconsin to Joe Biden. Uh, It's one of the key states. You know, Raisa, I think an awful lot of people who wanted President Trump to lose uh, 
last night went to bed feeling this sense of despair. Republicans, of course, jubilant because the map looked as if it was laid out for President Trump to score uh, yet again four years later this unexpected victory given what all the polling was showing. But um, we woke up this morning to see that the map is much more complicated than we thought. He's now won Wisconsin. He seems to be leading in Michigan. Um, Nate Cohn at New York Times, who is a great data cruncher, uh, believes that uh, it's a very good chance that Biden can win Pennsylvania. So, uh, and Georgia's still up in the air. So, Raisa, this race is not over by any means, is it? No, it is not over yet. And I just saw that um, Biden did win Wisconsin. Um, it wasn't too much of a surprise there, um, just seeing how the numbers were kind of coming out. Um, Georgia is a different story. You know, we've seen the stories before about Georgia turning purple. Uh, I myself am skeptical because um, I've been hearing it for quite some time, and it doesn't necessarily seem to be the case just yet. Um, that said, it is fair to say that it's anyone's game. Um, you were still waiting on absentee ballot uh, voting, I believe, from Fulton. Um, I know some have come in from DeKalb. Um, and I can't think of the other county that we're still waiting on, but we're still waiting on those key votes that could um, swing it in anyone's direction. But I personally am not holding my breath um, just yet. Um, Kurt, uh, talk about this uh, this uh, apparent, I don't know, comeback's the wrong word, but that suddenly people think that it's possible Joe Biden can win this race. Well, I, I think it, I, I, I certainly don't think that it's a surprise. A couple of things converged in this election, which has a lot to do with the anxiety at the beginning of the uh, race itself that carried all the way through. Uh, uh, the stakes were seen to be very high from all uh, sets of eyes. Um, the Democrats, whether it was with regard to uh, the presidency itself uh, or the Senate, the control of the Senate, uh, uh, really looked at this race very closely and was following it. Uh, uh, really intensely, and the expectations were very high. Of course, on the Republican side, you had the same kind of level, same levels of intensity, right? So, but in normal cycles, we would would have expected there to be some states where we would be still counting into uh, into the uh, following days. What is also occurring this time is that it appears that the country is evenly split. There's a certain level of division in the country, which by its very nature would require uh, uh, states to be very careful in the counting of ballots. The, you know, the ghost of 2000 uh, still uh, haunts the country in, in, in very serious ways. Um, and so it, 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 you, you truly have a situation here where votes are going to be counted all the way to the, to the very end. And there's one last piece that I would add, Bill, which has to do with the way that, the, uh, uh, that President Trump has been telegraphing his punches, going all the way back to the 2000, uh, to the 2016 race, where it seemed as if he was saying that if he didn't win in 2016, the, the election was rigged. Uh, and so that in and of itself adds another layer to the discussion, which increased the higher levels of expectations going into uh, last night's uh, race, so that when we wake, wake up in the morning, <laughs> we're still struggling looking for the end of the, uh, end of the uh, race itself. There are two observations, I think, too, to make here. And I think, Kurt, you make such a brilliant point. This country, again, is so 
evenly divided, but so are these states. And I think this yeah. is a message to governors also that, you know, you may be, quote, a red state, right? Like Georgia has always been considered for the past 20 years, but now it's time to really reach across the aisle because I think both parties have to take a look at this issue because it is so divided, but almost evenly. And I don't know the last time we've seen this. Also, I think the message also for Democrats is, you know, just kind of looking at the a brief analysis of the numbers so far, you look at Miami-Dade County and the Hispanic vote. Um, what's the strategy there with the, the Latina vote? Um, are Republicans making strides in that community? And for so long, we've heard Republicans say we have to reach out to the minority communities. Well, were they able to do that a little bit more this time with the African-American male vote? Are we seeing that Donald Trump was able to get his message um, to those voters? Um, but on the, on the flip side, with the Republicans, that suburban white vote, um, we saw it play out here in the 6th and 7th congressional districts, which I'm, I'm sure we will talk about, but especially with the women. And it would be interesting to hear his perspective on this, because is this more of a personal vote against Donald Trump and that a lot of the suburban women did not like him, didn't, were turned off by his tweets and were just turned off by his demeanor? Uh, no, Lord, you're exactly right. Uh, I do feel like the, the President Trump and the Republicans in general made strides in Florida, Texas, even Arizona, uh, New Mexico, and other places, uh, with particularly with the Latino uh, vote around the country. There were some uh, real efforts there. The president actually made efforts uh, with African-American voters, uh, you know, oftentimes having to make up for uh, verbal gaffes that he made along the way uh, in a huge campaign. But it all did come down to trading off with what I now call suburban men and women, right? I, I think we saw this in 16. Again, we saw it in 18 and we're seeing it more now, um, educated suburban men under the age of 50 are uh, uh, were turned off a little bit by Trump. We saw this in focus groups. But women, absolutely, when you look down ballot, suburban women in Georgia in particular uh, voted not for Trump or didn't vote or voted for Biden uh, or voted for the Libertarian and then went down ballot and voted mostly Republican in a lot of places. We had Republicans outperforming uh, the president. Uh, down ballot in local races all across Georgia and state house, state senate, and local local races, and so uh, there's no question we as Republicans are going to have to figure out that mix while we're out making inroads into the African American community, into the Latino community. Uh, we we can't be losing educated white men and women in the suburbs. Well, I do want to. Oh, Raisa, go ahead. Um, you know, we talk about the African-American vote and especially black male voters. One thing that's come up uh, perhaps a little late in this election season is that many of them feel like their vote has not been courted. Um, and so some of them have found it difficult to really uh, get behind uh, the Democrat Party, even though an overwhelming majority did support the Democrat Party this go round and in previous election seasons. Um, but you saw from the New York Times about 18 percent in Georgia uh, voted for voted Republican. Um, voted for um, specifically Trump. So that is something that's probably going to come up in later election cycles. How can we act effectively court not just the black vote, but for specifically uh, black male voters? Um, what are the issues that they want to hear and that are significant for them um, this year and beyond? Kurt, I think we need to have you weigh in on this. Yeah, I, I was uh, hoping to get a chance to speak to that. So I, 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 I have a couple of challenges in, in the, the conversation around the black male vote. 
Um, one, I'm still hungry to see exactly what the data tells us. I think there, there, are, uh, uh, there are nuances there that we're going to have to uh, pay careful attention to. Um, and I'm also wanting to use some historical uh, perspective. Um, the Republican outreach to some percentage of the black vote is not new. We know that Republicans have been trying to uh, pierce uh, the Democratic hold on the uh, um, on the black uh, vote for some time, and certainly you, you juxtapose that beside the fact that black women, African American women, have been uh, in many ways the emerging champions of the uh, Democratic base uh, for a number of reasons, uh, not least of which um, uh, uh, includes the uh, electing of Kamala Harris, and I'm sorry, the selecting of Kamala Harris and other uh, dynamics previous. But I also, though, want to challenge the narrative around the black male vote as a decisive factor in this election. Um, this election, and to the extent that this election was about race and men as it relates to race, I think it has more to do with some of what I heard Heath saying a second ago. It has more to do with the level of comfort in the Republican Party in uh, um, um, uh, attaching its message to the white male vote. Right? Uh, in many ways, the success that Donald Trump is experiencing right now is a testament to the allegiance to himself and the Republican Party uh, by white folks, not necessarily uh, certain segments of the black vote. And um, so, so we, I, I want us to be careful of the nuances uh, and be very uh, careful with a, a conversation about race and the American electorate uh, right now. All right, before before we have to take a break, uh, Laurie, I do want to expand, though, on, on this conversation. And, and uh, Raisa, you hit it on the head. Uh, the exit polling of Georgians, uh, 12% uh, black men represented 12% of the total universe of Georgia voters. 17% of them voted for Donald Trump. Uh, the rest, 81%, did vote for Joe Biden. Uh, you, you know, and on the other hand, 91% of black women voted for uh, Joe Biden and 8%, Lori, for uh, uh, Trump. So in a very, very close election, I do understand when Kurt talks about nuance but the, the Biden campaign made a huge effort to try to win black men over. They had a series of commercials about that. To some extent, that was what one of the things Barack Obama was here for on the final night uh, before the election. So there may be nuances, but it was clear the Biden campaign felt they needed more of those votes, wasn't it? Yes, and that was interesting because if you remember, President Trump came to Georgia several times um, and held these rallies with black business owners um, and really courting a lot of those voters. So um, I have Janelle King on the Georgia gang, who is a staunch um, Donald Trump supporter. She's African-American Republican. And these numbers, I don't think, will be surprising to her um, because, you know, she has said all along that that is a message that is resonating. Donald Trump over and over again said, um, I've done more for African-American um, people in the United States than any other president. And maybe that hit home with some. And he also talked about criminal justice reform on the campaign trail. It was also in the um, 
in the Republican convention. That was a really big issue for Republicans this go around. So I think um, I think he made inroads in that community that we haven't seen before from the Republican Party. Okay, um, I'm a little late to get to our first break. Uh, Amelia Brock is giving me a fist shake saying, take a break, take a break. Let's do that. We'll come back with more in this live edition of Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're joined today by Lori Geary, not only the host of Georgia Gang on Fox 5 on uh, Sunday mornings at, uh, what, 8 o'clock are you? Or are you 8.30? I always forget that time. I don't know time that hour. <laughs> okay, thank you for that. Also, we should say, uh, Lori's the founder and CEO of Lori Geary Media, who is becoming a really, you really have put, put together a major business for which I congratulate you as a as a political journalist, I don't know how to do stuff like that, but you have Thank done you. it successfully. Thank you. It's just okay. fun to sometimes be on the other side of the camera. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that for sure. Raisa Habersham is with us, an independent journalist in Atlanta. Raisa, you're going to start another job, but I'm not sure whether we're supposed to talk about it yet or not. So we don't have to, but is is it okay? Or no? Yes, Should we keep fine. it yeah, no, we can talk about it. I publicly announced it um, earlier what, this what week. What are you about to do? I'll be a watchdog reporter at the Savannah Morning News. Oh, congratulations. Uh, Adam Van Brimmer, the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News, is quite often a panelist on the show. In fact, he's going to be on with us uh, tomorrow, I think. Um, Heath Garrett is here, Republican strategist. Of course, Heath is most closely associated with Johnny Isaacson and the race for Johnny Isaacson's seat, which he retired from at the end of last year, going to be one of the most interesting contests that we will watch in the weeks ahead. And Kurt Young, uh, Professor Young, is the uh, chair of the political science department at Clark Atlanta University. Um, I'm going to come back in a few minutes to the presidential race uh, for reasons that I'll explain, but... Before I do, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, Georgia races again. Raisa, um, Cobb County is without question now a Democratic county. I mean, we knew it was heading that way. They, it went for uh, uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016, certainly gave Joe Biden big, big uh, majorities this time around. But they also elected an African-American woman as chair, a Democratic woman as chair of the Cobb County Commission. There hasn't been a Democratic chair of that commission for a number of decades now, Race. So for sure, Cobb is now fully a Democratic county, yes? I, 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 you know, that's a good question. I would say that's a representation of it. I think that... Um, one might argue there may be other inroads to make, um, but that's certainly a start. Um, and that's usually all it takes, especially when you think about, say, um, 
difference between handle and make bath. Um, and the difference between um, the polls there and make bath, you know, may have won by 1% the last time. Um, this time around, you're kind of seeing um, kind of similar in roads. I actually expected her to pull out a little further. Um, but you're seeing that I think it's a slow but uh, a sure but slow build to that change. So that I'll say that. Heath Garrett, you're you you live up in Cobb County. You're going to have to move out. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got lots of Democratic friends and uh, family members, Bill. The uh, so I'm, I'm happy right where we are. I, I do think that Cobb is uh, is purple, uh, trending a little bit blue. It's interesting. It was mixed bag, right? At the top of the ticket, with Trump losing over fifty thousand votes by over fifty thousand votes in Cobb. You know, the question I have in the back of my mind is if Johnny Isaacson were on the ballot in Cobb, would it be more of a 50-50 type county? And I think that's right. We held on to the school board. Republicans held on to the school board by one vote. Uh, Fitz Johnson's within two or 300 votes of keeping the majority on the county commission. Lisa Cupid is a great human being and person and a friend of mine, even though she's a Democrat. And uh, but, but is an example of the blue uh, wave that's starting to kind of uh, come over Cobb County. And I remind people all the time, you know, Wheeler High School is the most diverse high school in the state of Georgia. And it's right in the heart of Cobb County. I mean, there are they estimate as many as 90 different languages are spoken at Wheeler High School. So you uh, need Cobb County today is just dramatically different than 30, 40 years ago. And it's, it's part of what's great about it. But. Definitely purplish, um, and uh, Republicans are going to have to get much more competitive. Uh, well, so, Laurie, to add to that, you've, you've got Lucy McBath reelected uh, against Karen Handel. Uh, pretty handily, we should add. Um, in the 6th Congressional, um, Raisa talked about that. And, and now we've got Carolyn Bordeaux. Uh, I don't know that there's any declaration of victory. I know Carolyn Bordeaux has claimed victory in that race, and it does appear, unless there's something dramatic that happens, that Democrat Carolyn Bordeaux will win over uh, Rich McCormick, largely on the votes of Gwinnett County. Forsyth is probably still pretty Republican, but Gwinnett's certainly now a Democratic county. Right, and two years ago, we know that Carolyn Bordeaux lost by only 400 votes, so we knew this one was going to be close. And I thought for sure that Carolyn Bordeaux would win this one. It appears that's that's the way it is trending. But if you look at, you want to talk about changing demographics in Georgia, I think, you know, Gwinnett kind of started that wave. And then Cobb County, I think, is now ground zero for it. Um, Kurt? Yeah, I, I was going to make that exact point. So there, there are two different forces uh, converging in the Atlanta area, right? Um, certainly there are these um, national trends of, of, of Populations migrating to the Atlanta metropolitan area and using as their destination some of the surrounding counties, right? Uh, uh, not least of which would be Gwinnett and Cobb County, um, parts of DeKalb County as well. But then also you have the uh, population shifts taking place within the city of Atlanta that's resulting in more and more persons moving out into those areas and certainly people of color into those areas. So you have those, those surrounding counties kind of being caught. Uh, from two forces uh, in two different directions, leading to, uh, I think I heard uh, Raisha mention it earlier, um, uh, uh, yes, we have the possibilities of a purple state of Georgia, 
But the congressional districts are increasingly purple. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the next 20 years looks like uh, in those uh, in those um, uh, surrounding counties. Keith, Kurt, you bring uh, up a really there good was, point. Uh, an, Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, Kurt, you bring up a really good point about just the population, because I didn't think about that, the fact that there are people moving out to the suburbs, um, maybe in part because of affordability in the city and how that is affecting just the voting bases there. So that's a really good point. Think about that. Um. Let me ask, uh, Heath, uh, you've probably kept your eye on this, and Lori, you may have too. We know that uh, Georgia Democrats made a big push to try to see if they could win the majority in the Georgia House, which, of course, has been controlled by Republicans since uh, not long after Sonny Perdue became the first Republican governor uh, since Reconstruction, we think, back in 2003. Um, They seem to have really fallen far short of that goal, and Republicans will clearly continue in control of the House, yes? Yeah, that's exactly right, Bill. Yeah, there was a big push uh, in the State House. Republicans were at a 16-vote majority. It looks like after last night or where we are that that will probably be a 15-vote majority. We traded a couple of House seats. I think that the Republicans may have lost one seat in the Senate net. But held on, and that's critical because of redistricting that will come up next year. Reapportionment will draw those congressional lines and all those uh, House and Senate lines. But uh, it was that's where I think it's interesting. We Republicans have to learn. We were able to outperform the president and outperform even uh, Senator Perdue and the Leffler-Collins race down ballot because those candidates are focused on local issues and weren't as buffeted by the national trends. Well, Laurie, Heath went to exactly the place I was going to go. Uh, by You look at the 6th and 7th District congressional ra- uh, uh, seats now, and you say, yes, they're controlled by Democrats, but the legislature, both House and Senate, are controlled by Republicans. And so, Laurie, uh, when redistricting starts, uh, Republicans will have the power, also with a governor sitting in uh, office, uh, to redraw maps in such a way that they can start making life miserable for Democrats again in uh, metro Atlanta. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think it was that that message really fell on a lot of deaf ears on how important um, the, the state House and state Senate races, not so much the state Senate, because we knew that would stay in Republican hands. But there was definitely a big play for the state House by Democrats. And now, um, I think 10 years ago, Bill, when they were redrawing district lines, if memory serves me correct from my census work, um, not only Republican and Democrat, but you also have to think rural versus um, suburban because the Georgia House lost five seats um, in rural Georgia to Metro Atlanta and also two Senate seats from rural Georgia to Metro Atlanta. So um, the district lines, um, really important, and we'll see that shake out next year during redistricting. So as long as we're talking about the legislature, I would like to now eat a few words. Um, We've talked several times on this show in the last week about the fact that uh, Republicans spent a million dollars to defeat Democratic minority leader in the House, uh, Bob Trammell. Mary Margaret Oliver was the one who started it. She said, what the heck can you spend a million dollars on in a race in Luthersville? Well, I'm not still sure what they spent the money on. Uh, but Heath Garrett, Bob Trammell went down. 
he surely did. And look, you know, there are a lot of Republicans that are going to ask, did we really need to spend a million there? If we just spread that out a little bit, we might not have lost a single seat, right? Uh, and I'm with you as a consultant, want to know how we sent that in, in that community. But, uh, you know, vengeance is mine, say it the Lord or the Speaker of the House. And, uh, and then Bob Trammell will receive the ire of the Republican caucus in a big way. And look, it goes back to some of these trends, right? Is Bob one of the last kind of moderate white Democrats to, to be elected? Uh, from outside Metro Atlanta, and uh, I think there's a there's a factor there that may not have cost a million dollars to 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 handle. Uh, the other thing before we take a, our final break of the show, Kurt, is that by not giving up many seats, by retaining uh, maybe all but one seat, Republicans uh, Speaker David Ralston has probably saved himself what could have been a relatively significant challenge to his spe- speaker. Uh, ship. He was going to have a challenge in January, uh, but now uh, he's probably going to remain firmly in control because there just aren't enough new Democrats to try to thwart him in his reelection, Kurt. And that's right. And, and no matter what happens with, with the presidential race, uh, he may have bought some some time here. Uh, he may have may emerged victorious uh, in terms of the battle of the state, the battle for the state at the at the uh, legislative level. Um, so. And I appreciate the point someone made about the redistricting uh, dynamic. Uh, it portends to get even more intense going forward. All right. I got to get two breaks. Uh, Kurt, I'm sorry if I cut you a little bit short. I'm running late on time. When we come back, I do want to turn back to the presidential race for several reasons, and we'll do that after these messages. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Literally four minutes ago, the Secretary of State's office released some new totals in Georgia races. Donald Trump still is leading uh, uh, Joe Biden at 50.2 percent to 48.5 percent. But Biden is nibbling away just a little bit at the uh, Trump vote totals. He was up about 85,000 when we started the show. That has come down to 70 some thousand. And there's still a lot of votes to count. So we're all going to keep our eyes on that. Okay, uh, Laurie, let me start with you. Um, Our good friend Audrey uh, Haynes from the University of Georgia was on the show this morning, and a little while ago she sent out to us some uh, just a handful of interesting conclusions drawn by public opinion strategies, which uh, did some polling of voters. Um, They're a very highly respected organization. And and here's just a couple things, and I'll let you, Laurie, start, and everybody else can weigh in. Um, 30 percent of uh, uh, people voted on Election Day, according to public opinion strategies. And it President Trump won those voters by 26 points, 59 percent to 33 percent. So that's interesting. Late deciders broke heavily for President Trump among voters who decided in October or later. Trump won by 16 points. Um 
Trump continued to enjoy big margins among non-college white men, 67 to 27 uh, for Biden. But here's the one that I thought was really uh, eye-catching, Lori. Former President, uh, Vice President Biden did win seniors, but by just one point, 49 to 48. And we had all looked and said, Trump is not going to be able to bring in the seniors this time. That one really struck me. You too? Absolutely. Um, Because the messaging to seniors and, you know, all of the pandemic, um, the issues surrounding the pandemic, and really it hit hit seniors so hard. Um, So that one will be interesting to flesh out and kind of seeing the reasons behind that. But I think what this also sends the message to Republicans is, you know, it used to be that they could rely on traditional Republican voters to turn out on Election Day to get those numbers up. They can't do that anymore. And I also think that the debate commissions and even the folks who run the debates in Georgia need to move them up. Because if you have early voting starting three weeks before Election Day, why are you even trying to schedule debates on the Sunday before the election? That's right. That's right. That's a really good point that I had, frankly, not thought of. You know what's interesting about that, um, Lori, and you've experienced this at Channel 2, as I think I did. I always used to argue with people at Channel 2 when they wanted to schedule debates, as they had planned to do this time, on the Sunday before election. They were going to have the David Perdue-John Ossoff race two days before election day. That's crazy. It makes no sense. And you're saying the same thing about early voting. Especially now, you had 4 million people, 4 million Georgians early vote. Their minds were already made up, and you wouldn't even have a tune-in factor at that point. Yeah, it's nice to be able to complain a little bit about our old employer. (laughs) Uh, Raisa, you heard those numbers. Anything struck you about um, what public opinion strategy said? For instance, uh, again, non College white men, by a huge margin, 67 to 27, continue to support President Trump, Raisa. Yeah, you know, I agree, Lori, especially on this point of the seniors. That was pretty shocking. Um, And also to the point about holding debates um, only before actual Election Day, when they need to be held far sooner. Um, You know, non-college whites voting for Trump, unfortunately to me, is not surprising. Um, I think what was what has been surprising is from the polling that I saw, um, you know, he's made inroads other places. His um, voter base among white women has definitely increased. Um, And that is something that people um, have criticized. They've wondered, you know, are white women actually going to shift toward the Democratic Party as opposed to supporting Trump again, especially when you consider some of the remarks he's made about women in general? Um, so I would say that that one in particular might have been a little bit surprising for me. Uh, Kurt, uh, earlier in the show, when I read the totals for David Perdue and John Ossoff and said that uh, Perdue keeps hovering around 50-plus percent, you said, well, if he's hanging on that long, maybe he's going to stay there. And the Secretary of State's numbers, which came out uh, uh, about five minutes ago now, still have Purdue at this time at almost 50.6% compared to 47% for John Ossoff. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg Bluestein just tweeted that there are going to be a big batch of votes from Fulton and DeCab coming in fairly soon. But Bluestein says it'll be nine o'clock or so when Fulton finally wraps up uh, its counting. But Kurt, 
uh, we might watch to see if if uh, Asaf can force down that percentage for Purdue in the hours ahead. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because of the nature of the the, the, the location where those remaining ballots are. And it, actually, that's something that we're seeing all over the country. That, and I hope that becomes a narrative that we talk more about, how uh, um, um, these urban centers, I'm from the state of Florida, we have about five urban centers that are re- reporting at a point that um, tells us something about how the uh, uh, vote in those, those locations are playing out. And certainly uh, um, the black vote in those urban centers, right? Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we, we, we have just enough for a runoff to take place between them. Uh, I know we're running short on time. I'd like to make one last point going back to the conversation about the polling and the expectations. I think part of what's taking place here, Bill, right before our, our eyes, going back to 2016 and 2018, I think we are finding ourselves in the middle of a transition in how we understand polling data. Uh, and, and the way that the way that polling is taking place uh, uh, um, uh, at its very base, I think Heath will probably be able to say more about this uh, tonight. But something is changing here. I know we talked about a phenomenon of the, sh- the shy uh, Trump voter. I'm not sure how shy that per- that voter is, but nonetheless, there's something else happening here in the way we interpret poll data. No, no, Gordon, that's exactly um, right. I said previously to the show, Bill, you know, I think the biggest disinformation campaign turned out to be national polling uh, this year and not the other. But we, we as consultants are going to have to ask, what are we paying for? Because I know that it became less reliable for my Democratic friends on the consulting side and on the Republican side. And uh, there's no question that there's going to have to be a major scientific deep dive into the analytics of polling because it, it yeah. sways campaigns. Well, I mean, we certainly are seeing that in that that Senate race number one. I mean, every poll, every poll showed it as a as a dead heat around 45 percent for Ossoff and Purdue. And, you know, I got to tell you, Lori, every time I talk about polls on Political Rewind, not every time, but many times, my boss calls me up and says, why do you still talk about polls? Haven't we learned by now that polls just aren't? accurate, <laughs> Lori? <laughs> I struggle with that, too, but it gives us something to talk about, right? Um, I think, and to Kurt's <laughs> point, I think we have to bring psychologists into this polling on really how to decipher and get down to, you know, are you really voting for Trump or are you not? Are you supporting Republicans or are you not? There has to be some psychological factor to really drill down to get to where people truly are, because either people are lying or it's in the waiting of the polls where some national pollster will come into Georgia and wait the poll, which is completely opposite because they don't know the Georgia electorate. Um, so I tend to believe the pollsters who have been polling Georgia or are located in Georgia. And I, I think Landmark Communications will come out pretty close on this one, like they did back in 2018 and 2016. Um, but yeah, polling, oh gosh, there, there could be a lot of them out of work after this election. <laughs> um, Lori Geary, you get the last word on today's Political Rewind because we're just about out of time. So Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll watch for you on Georgia Gang, your show, uh, which you anchor every Sunday morning at 8.30. Race Habersham, come back again. It was great to have you on Uh, your first uh, show here. Kurt Young, always a pleasure. Heath Garrett, glad to see that you're staying up in Marietta and you can get along with your Democratic neighbors up there. Thanks for joining us, Heath. 
Uh, we're out of time for today's show. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll be back with you tomorrow. And, of course, as always, uh, take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and get a flu shot. See you all tomorrow.